This episode is sponsored by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. I'm Mark Linsenmeyer, peacocking my philosophy skills while pecking for bits of improv. <laughs> and I am Bill Arnett, an improv file looking to overcome philosophy phobia. You philosophy phobia? No, I don't. I just I wanted to I wanted to have this the file and phobia. It's, it's alliterative. alliterative. Oh, no, it is alliterative. <laughs> but you just made me nervous with philosophy phobia. I don't even know what that would look like. Fear of, uh, of big ideas. Fear of, of yeah, or, yeah. Fear of people telling me what to do. Genevieve, introduce yourself. I'm Genevieve. Define yourself in four words or less. I'm trying to define myself in terms of philosophy and improv. And it, it's hard. It's, it's hard because I'm a philosophy major and in the process of becoming a doctor of divinity. And I also am a comedian with a tremendous amount of experience in improv. So there we go. I think I, I, think I walk both sides of the line here. That is ideal. Well, why did it take so long to track you down, Genevieve, for the show? <laughs> Mark? I, this is actually the first time hearing about the divinity thing. So, yeah. so each of us, Bill and I both came with a, an idea in mind that we're not going to reveal immediately. We'll see how the conversation develops, whether that's the idea we want to introduce. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to know what philosophy you're talking, because that's as vast as... Right. Generally, in this show, I'm not, unless I have a scholar of... X on. I'm not talking about something, you know, very obscure. It's a general topic. It's a word. And in fact, the one that I have in mind is based on a past conversation with you and things that you said. And it's related as nobody can tell because the video didn't work this time to my background, which is an old West. Well, it's, it's a, it's a desert theme. Yes. With some mesas. Mm -hmm. Uh, But tell us more about divinity. What, what do you mean? What are you studying actually? So I'm actually in a year one, I just complete, well, I'm about to complete year one of ministerial of science of mind. So what that means is science of mind is basically the next leg in religion, post-Christianity, taking into account, basically it was started by the transcendentalists of the 19th century in America who wanted to, at the time, a bunch of them were ministers, Unitarian ministers, which was the most progressive church at the time. But they still believed in a God separate from human beings. They were still very Lockean in terms of where they didn't really believe in like intelligence being part of our nature, but rather everybody's the same and everything's about what you learn, which is we know is anyone who's ever seen a baby knows that that's not true. Uh, <laughs> we come in with intelligence and we come in with personalities. So basically, have you ever read any of Ralph Waldo Emerson or Thoreau or high school? Yeah, right. So that was sort of the beginnings of this trend of thought. Basically, that divinity, it's a personal thing. There's no God outside. It's all your God, essentially. And that the sacred writings like the Bible and all of that, it's all written in code. So in scripture, it says like human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. That doesn't mean that there's a guy on a cloud that looks like a man. It means that God, the creative source behind everything that happens in the universe, that's what people are. Sure. By by image and likeness, it means that that we're all little microcosms of the great macro. Sure. 
So that's kind of what I've been studying for a long time. I started out as a philosophy major in college, and my parents were both big theology scholars. My mom went back to school to study theology when I was a kid. So I used to attend all these lectures. So I always kind of had a lot of that in my ear, even growing up. And then I started studying science of mind, which is also, there's a lot of quantum physics in, is this so boring? I'm sorry. (laughs) No, fascinating. (laughs) Basically, the idea is that as we expand as a species in terms of our, not just physically, but like in terms of what we know about the world, Like there was a time when they thought that lightning was the God being angry. Sure. We know that there's such a thing called electricity and not only that it exists, but we can actually use it for our purposes. So we've evolved so much in our understanding of nature and of the world and of ourselves. Then why is our spirituality not expanding as well? Like, why are we not moving forward in our understanding of, of, of everything? And yet we kind of hold on to these ideas about spirituality that don't actually make any sense because they're based on an idea of the world that we don't even have anymore. So it's all about kind of evolving and expanding and not denying, you know, scientific laws, but actually using them and seeing how they are proofs of universal truths, which are spiritual as well as nature. It's all one thing. That's fantastic. Something I've thought about sometimes is that we might be a little ignorant to feel that The technology of philosophy or the technology of political science has somehow reached an end. And that uh, certainly in this country, you got a lot of people who are like, hey, it's all about capitalism, capitalism, this, capitalism, you know, and democracy, da, 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 da. It's like, well, just so you know, a world existed far longer before those ideas even occurred to anybody. Right. And it's naive to think that certainly with transportation, we can very easily think about walking and horses and cars and airplanes and see, uh, and we are still talking about faster airplanes, you know, and we can perceive of teleportation, but somehow political science is just, well, we reached democracy. We're done. We reached capitalism. We're done. You know, we'll never get anything better. And I think that's a little short-sighted. And actually my, my boyfriend is an economist and his favorite economist slash philosopher was Rousseau, who said that capitalism will work for about 200 years. Sure, yeah. And then there needs to be some kind of adjustment. But we, again, and one of the issues, I think particularly in a culture that's fundamentally Christian, which we can say America is not, but it is. It was created on these on these values. And the problem is that there's a lot of fear-based dogma in there. And people are afraid to question, even though the Constitution can always be changed and that's part of it and they're supposed to leave that out of it. It's still in the American mentality. I mean, why are we not moving forward with religion? Because people are afraid to, because they have these ideas in their mind about hell and blasphemy and heresy, words that we don't even really use anymore, but they're still in the back of their mind. And there's a fear consciousness of doing anything differently. Well, you've already made me change my <laughs> idea of what philosophy bit to point out today. The thing that I wanted to... We can go back. I still, I still love cowboys. Is, I mean, if it had to do with Western... <laughs> uh, maybe we can work the cowboys in there somehow through the, through the yes. improv. But is the Emersonian the oversoul? This was an essay that I was singularly unimpressed with when I, I had very high hopes for. Read it again. New unit of time. Just that. <laughs> it was very vague. This is an idea that has gone back, you know, it's ancient Hinduism and things, but 
what you just said that somehow it sort of makes sense if God is by definition everything. Yeah. Then it is the system, the larger system of nature. And it is somehow we participate in, we're somehow part of or equivalent to, or, you know, you could, there, there's a lot of different ways that we could, there must at least be some part of us that must be literally divine. There is. Bill, are you familiar with the Oversoul? Do you know what he's talking about? No idea. <laughs> you got 20 seconds. Go. Yeah. <laughs> well, so the Oversoul essentially is that part of our nature mm-hmm. that is all one thing that's tied in with everything. How do we connect on things? Okay. Like, how do you know that something is good and you're right about it and other people feel the same way? How are human beings all kind of the same at a certain level? Because sure. the Oversoul, is that part of our nature that is part of the bigger all-encompassing. So basically what he's saying is that, again, God is not some separate entity. It's the thing, that part of our nature that links us all to each other, that's all the same. That kind of creative force. Sure. I had a biology teacher in college who was kind of upset that essentially, in, in his opinion, biology was dying as a subject. Because if you study biology enough, it turns into chemistry. You study chemistry enough, it turns into physics. Mm -hmm. And you study physics enough, and it loses all touch with our understanding of how things work. It's not incorrect or wrong. It's just so minuscule that we can barely get our hands, or much less the common person get their hands around it. And his whole thing was like, biology was the study of how things interact with each other and how they, not just how one system operates, but keeping it in the macro and seeing all those things. And he was kind of, bemoaning i don't I have no idea what was happening in all the biology journals uh, at the time bemoaning that we aren't thinking more holistically holistically as systems that how they interact with each other on a more macro scale what you're saying kind of makes me think that the same crucible that gave us rocks and grass gave us us and we can't deny that we are uh, of the earth you uh, go even, all the way back and back and back and back. It's one source. Yes. And, and wherever that source is, you mentioned the Constitution, nature's God. If you want to take kind of a, an arm's distance uh, a grasp on it, you can't deny that we are all from the same. Right. Even the Bible says we are made of earth. We are all of the same thing. But that would be the genetic fallacy. This is a technical term in terms of just because things have a common source, it's a separate question whether they have any common properties at this point at least that are relevant to anything that we're going to care about. Like, yes, everything is made of atoms. Everything ultimately came from the Big Bang. In terms of our ethical relations with each other, which is what a lot of this ends up coming down to, why does that matter? What's maybe more important in terms of the biology is, well, aren't human beings pretty much all basically the same, right? We have different personality types, but nothing important enough that would make biological race really a thing that we should ethically care about, for instance. And so there's no justification for any sort of strong, permanent hierarchies in politics. And, you know, this would just push you toward a humane, you could say Christian, we're all equally God's children sort of view from the biological fact. Beyond that, there's nothing in that that says necessarily that there's a a Jungian unconscious, that there's some, you know, place that we literally, where I literally am you, and we literally are all together, as the walrus would say. Well, that's because <laughs> we exist as individualized expressions. So we don't exist as the one, but we do have the common thread. That's what the oversoul is. So if we're all made of the same source and substance, it's sort of like 
if God is snow. Snow is God. Human beings are snowflakes. You're all made of the same substance, but every single one is is different. And there would be, you know, a snowflake. I don't know the physics of the crystallization and things, but at least at a macro level, once two snowflakes are smushed together, it's just snow. When you die, you just become snow. You drop your body and you become you come back to source. Okay. All right. I guess I was looking for some sort of a literal, whether it be I will retain consciousness after I die, merged with the one. And somehow then prayer makes sense and talking to the universe as if it has some consciousness, as opposed to consciousness is a very fragile thing that is built on these particular biological things. And it's the thing that we care about so that when those break down, there's really nothing of us that is what we would consider right now to be the most significant parts that remains, you know, in the massive snow. So the answer to that in in terms of science of mind terms, Mm -hmm. obviously different schools of thought have different ideas about this. But that right now you're living as an expression in this body and whatever is associated with that would be finished, right? But energy can't ever be destroyed. And it's your life force that brings your body to life. I mean, if you think about it, like the body is a dead thing. When there's consciousness in it, it breathes, it moves, it interacts. It's your mind has to send signals through your brain to make it do anything. There's a force behind it. When that leaves, all of this becomes irrelevant. Now, what separates, what goes back to source, that's that creative energy. Whether it continues to go on to another plane, whether it goes into another body, I mean, we have no way of knowing that. I don't really believe in reincarnation. I kind of used to. But I was talked out of it when I read something that said it's sort of like arrogant to think that there's not bigger and a more expansive experience that's later that we don't know anything about. There could be whole other planes of existence that we have just, I mean, in quantum reality, there's like, who the fuck knows? And I'm I'm not really concerned with what happens after you die. But I don't think that we only exist if the body exists. Because if we exist as energy, it's sort of like the force. Think about it. Like you can destroy. This goes back to Plato. So he has this example of the platonic forms and the actual matter. So what is real? A chair or an idea of a chair? We talked about this, Mark. (laughs) They're both real in different senses. Right. Reality is, is contingent upon particular purposes that people have. If I'm looking to sit down, And you say, well, here, I have an idea of a chair for you. That's not very helpful. It doesn't do you very any good. But you can destroy all the chairs on the earth. But the concept of a chair can't be destroyed. So as long as that exists, you can't actually destroy chairs. You know what I'm going to say here, Mark? I have the concept. I get my rent paid next week. Me too. That doesn't pay the rent. And I think (laughs) my worry is, and this is all very beautiful and very well thought out. So... But Mark and I have this conversation a lot. Well, that's that's exactly why I was picking at you know the, the, the life after death thing. But you have the potential to to make that money. Y- yes. So you know that you have the ability to go and get that money somehow. Yes. However, I think the the reality that we live in, and my experience is that the obstacles to that money mm-hmm. are not within my grasp or control. Not all of them. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that we don't live in a physical universe with actual physical things happening. But the idea is that all of those things started somehow. And that's great. And that keeps me warm at night. (laughs) And it started somehow. No, you may not have done it. But everything exists on a quantum level first. 
And that money already exists. It may not be in your pocket, but you're going to use whatever you need to go and bring it in. I'll tell my landlord that. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so listen, I have to tell my landlord that I'm too. I'm picking on you. <laughs> I'm picking on you. Yeah, of course. That's always been... I was thinking that too. I don't have rent this month. Either. To your question, Mark, about, you know, so we are all b- built of the same stuff. So what? The only thing I would say is this. Not only are we forged in the same crucible, the same forces that drove evolution, gravity, heat, all those things also drove the evolution of everything around the animals around us. And I think that we can, from that, see that what is good for the things around us might also be good for us if the same forces that created them. Does that make sense, Mark, what I'm saying? I could say that like cats here, they want to reproduce, they want to be happy, they want a mouse, you know, they, they have things that they need and they acquired those things evolutionarily because of the world that they were born into. And there were other cats that loved running around during the day and they all got eaten by hawks. And what we're left with are these cats. <laughs> sure. But I, As the humans who also loved going out when it was raining, they all got sick and died. And all of us who were like, man, when it's raining outside, I just want to curl up next to a fire in a good book. It's like, we have cars, we have raincoats, we have umbrellas. We don't need to curl up with a book when it's raining, but we're stuck with these evolutionary things that make us want to curl up with a good book when it's raining outside because we were, quote unquote, smart enough to realize we'll get sick. So the only thing I would say, and I'm not saying it's well thought out, Mark, for crying out loud, it's tenuous. I think we can look at the other animals and see what they need and what they want to live and survive and say that, well, we may share some things in common. That's it. It ain't going to pay the rent either. The (laughs) malaria germs, the malaria virus, whatever, you know, also grew under the same. That doesn't mean that its interests align with ours. No. Or that we should necessarily sympathize. But a virus doesn't have consciousness. But it, it does operate on a same you know, for viruses not having consciousness, there's a weird connection between virality, how fast it spreads, and how sick it makes its hosts, which is kind of fascinating. There are no diseases that are super contagious and super deadly because they would kill the people before it could spread. And the diseases Ooh, that are most that's deadly... That's why it's like a slow burn. Yeah, and the diseases that are very deadly, generally, not a scientist in this field, the very deadly diseases can be more difficult to get. Consider AIDS, which is, as far as compared to the cold, hard to yeah, get. Yeah, no, you got to like go and get <laughs> you have to You have to try, but it's, but it's very deadly and kind of long-lived. So I think there, there might be some interesting, and again, I don't think it's consciousness at all, Mark. I think you're, you're definitely right about that. All right. Well, I think we've gone too long without doing any improvising. Get us into this, Bill. All right. Here's what I did. I've been writing furiously. <laughs> Just, what I've been doing is, and I'm glad we talked philosophy first. I'm glad it was nice and long. Because what I did was, as I was looking for behaviors. Now, behaviors, Mark, is something we've talked about. It's this idea of, it isn't just something you like. You know, both Mother Teresa and Joseph Stalin liked reading when it's raining. They both like puppies. Probably. <laughs> Joseph Stalin and Mother Teresa. I don't know if that's true or not, but it probably is. They both like, oh, look at that puppy dog. That's adorable. You know, it's like. I heard Mother Teresa didn't like dogs at all. You know, Genevieve, please accept that the fact is that we can have two very... I didn't yes and. I'm sorry. No, we can have two very, very different people with some similarities. Alex, sometimes in in the improv game, you're going to encounter people who define their characters and define themselves in very narrow, temporally, not great ways. Emotions are temporal. Everyone is sad. Everyone is angry. So saying I'm sad is not necessarily a character. That makes sense, right, Mark? Yo soy sad, not yo estoy sad. Well, that, sorry, that's that's a joke that only makes sense if you're a, a linguist like me. 
Yes. <laughs> but Mark, we've talked about the person who talks too much, right? That is a behavior. It is a serial thing they do. It's not a crime, but it's something they do, right? The person who is a know-it-all, that is a behavior. And that can be a really strong, cool improv character. So what I did was, and what you will do for future improv scenes, is to go through the conversation and pick out behaviors that you can then play. All right. And again, it's not an emotion. It's not a temporary thing or a whim. It is how you go about living your life. Does that make sense? And I've got a great way to start this scene with a behavior I divined from our philosophy speech. And we'll talk about it afterwards. Okay, uh, kids, I just want to look. I, <laughs> uh, I caught you making out in the, under the bleachers. All right. And I, we just can't knock it off. Okay. Knock it off. I'm the principal here. And we just, uh, that's all I want to say about that. So what we're doing. No. Huh? What? You're, you're, you look like you were. <clears throat> um, it's your dirty mind. No, it was, we were practicing for lifeguard class. Under the bleachers during the football game. Yeah. You got to be prepared in any situation. You could be, there could be accidents anywhere. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. All right. Let's just. I know, but our school is so close to the beach. What if there was a tidal wave and everyone was drowning? I'm, I'm not buying that. Okay. I'm, I'm not buying that. What, what, let's just call it whatever it was you want to call it, but let's not have um, bodies touch bodies. If we lose the game, I might be drowning in my tears. I might need mouth to mouth immediately. Fine. Whatever you want to call it. All right. If it, it was lifeguard practice, let's just not have body touch body on uh, school, school ground, school functions. Cool. We good? Good speech. Good speech. If you want to talk to the health teacher, we can get uh, Mr. Hernandez in here and we'll let, we'll let him tackle concerns. Well, I don't know if you want it on your conscience if somebody dies on school grounds because we didn't practice our lifeguard skills. Do you want do you want to get in on this? No, no, no. Are you? No, no, no. I'm no, I don't don't like I don't swim. Don't take baths. Shower. <laughs> Just stop at a sh- I shouldn't even say that. All right. Let's just, let's just, hey, let's just get on with our lives here. Huh? Let's just not pretend. Let's pretend we didn't see anything. Y'all weren't at the lifeguard practice. They were hands on buttockses. <laughs> there was some of that going on. And I'm not sure if that's part of lifeguard training. Uh, so let's, um, and you got to be able to carry somebody like out of the pool yeah, to lift a person out of the water. Look, if you have some, I'm aware that Mr. Hernandez has some pharmaceutical products that the young people might partake in to prevent unwanted uh, events. And um, ah, that's all. That's well, all. Like, I, like weed. Are you trying to sell us? What? No, I no, no. Uh, <clears throat> birth control devices. Okay. And um, if that's devices, things, you mean like these floaty balloons? Uh, you have, I see you have, yeah, because if a person's drowning, you can attach them to their limbs, and then they won't. There's not. There's not enough not buoyancy. And it controls. It controls their elevation. In, in can can you just promise water. me you won't be under the bleachers doing anything that involves bodies touching? Be it lifeguard class, be it CPR training, be it um, expressions of affection. Can we just just put a kibosh on that? That'd, that'd be good. That'd be good. I guess. All right. I guess we could just. Thank you. Thank you. I guess thank we you. Could just smoke. Just gotta find a new spot. No, that's. <laughs> y'all uh, <laughs> you're making this difficult for me and all i'm trying to do is uh i mean we all know what's whatever you want to call it we all know what it was maybe just not on school grounds maybe yeah, just not on school are grounds. you okay yeah i'm fine i'm fine i'm great it seemed, it i'm great like you're getting really worked up out of the, over this this is a you know a pretty routine educational experience <laughs> uh i mean it's it's really it's not my wheelhouse let's be I'm, I'm more of an administrative principal. You know what I'm saying? You want the Q3 numbers. I'm going to knock them out the park. You know, we're making some hiring and 
decisions, you know, going over syllabi and whatnot. But when it comes to comes to things, I'm probably not the best uh, adult to discuss topics. Hmm. Sounds like so, he's, he's not comfortable with himself. Is there anything we can do to? I'm comfortable. Do you have I'm a very... bad experience in a pool or something? Um, metaphorically, when you say a pool, or are we talking about actually swimming? Yeah, a, a pool or, or a lake. I, I grew up in central Illinois, and there's no body of water larger than a pond. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's some fears or phobias around that. If you're talking metaphorically, uh, <laughs> the missus and I have a wonderful relationship. And although we don't have any children, that's just a choice we've made. It's just a choice. You should get under the bleachers a little more. Often. Yeah. We have lifeguard practice all the time. Yeah. Ooh, uh, bring, bring her along. Uh, she uh, has her job. I have my job. We come home. We do one of those dinner boxes, meal box kits. In fact, you know what? Today, in fact, it's my, my job. I got to be home half hour early to get the meal box started. So enjoy the rest of the game. I got to knock off early here, but. Uh, All right. Let's not, let's not touch people. <laughs> cool. We good. Uh, sure. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll see you later. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Glad we <laughs> had this convo. You kids are great. You're the future. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. We'll stop right there. Oh, do you guys have some more? Do you want to talk some more? I was just no. going to add some disgusting sound effects. <laughs> the res- awesome. Glad we missed them. Of the, uh, of the necking. Awesome. Uh, that was enjoyable. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the subtext was that we were all one. That certainly was the, <laughs> what my character had in mind, but it just didn't sure. actually come up explicitly. That's fine. I think that's fine. We, we understood who you were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's stop for some ads. Last week, I visited by myself my aged father in South Carolina and was charged with making sure that he ate things. Now, he is a picky eater, very health conscious. So what did I do? HelloFresh, which provides farm-to-table quality with seasonal ingredients. They're picked at peak ripeness, and they get to your table within seven days for fresh flavor in every bite. The pre-portioned ingredients make it easy to get cooking quick, and I was able to make the cranberry thyme chicken with roasted broccoli, carrots, and onions quickly and with very little effort. And because I'm making this myself, not just ordering out, I could put in less salt. I could add... Extra broccoli that I had on hand. HelloFresh is 25% less expensive than takeout and also less expensive than grocery shopping and, of course, more convenient. Every week, HelloFresh has 40 recipes. There are always going to be multiple veggie and pescatarian options. There's always going to be something new to you. Like, for instance, they've just introduced new snack items. You could add, like, a s'mores bundle to your order. They've also added some entertaining options like a bratwurst bar with various fancy toppings, or they have a snack board with pretzel bites, spice bar nuts, and hot honey peach jam. Go to HelloFresh.com slash improv16 and use the code improv16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh.com slash improv16. Use the code improv16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. What's the real science behind all the popular UFO claims on television? What's the true history behind today's growing beliefs in Atlantis, the Flat Earth Theory, and Ancient Aliens? And when you take away the media hype, what do scientists really say about COVID-19 and global warming? 
Since 2006, the Skeptoid Podcast has been revealing the true science, true history, and true facts behind more than 800 of our most popular urban legends and mysteries. Each episode of Skeptoid looks at a famous story you know and reveals the part of it you haven't heard. Check out episodes covering mysteries such as popular ghost stories, famous UFO cases, alternative science claims, cryptids and urban legends, or conspiracy theories. Find out why the truth behind these popular legends is even more interesting. Listen wherever you get your podcast. Just search for Skeptoid, that's S-K-E-P-T-O-I-D, or visit Skeptoid.com for full transcriptions of the entire catalog. If you had to label my behavior, well, how would we label my, my behavior? Deeper than principle, deeper than busting kids doing things wrong. I would say you were very nervous. Sure. But again, anyone can be nervous. Insecure. Okay, so you expressed being nervous by being jittery? Sure. Particularly around anything, Mark? Around it. Any, anything Sex. sexual? Sex, yes. So uptight. Uptight. And again, uptight is a behavior. Uptight is something that someone can be. That uh, someone can play, yeah. Someone can play. Very easy to play. You know, nervousness. What if I take away the thing you're nervous about? Oh, I got the cough from the office. Turns out there's no layoffs after all. Well, now I've taken away your nerve, perhaps taken away your nerves. Unless you're like just an anxious. Anxious is a behavior. Yes. Anxious is a behavior. Detached, uptight. Those are all things that are not temporary and are easy to play and can be fun things to play. I had fun playing it. If you didn't, sorry. I had fun watching you play. (laughs) That makes sense, right, Mark? Yes. It has come up before. Yes. And this idea of trying to like. What would be easy to play? What's the way we already talk about people in the world? You know, oh, this guy at the office, he's so blank, blank, blank. It's like we already. Obsessive compulsive. Totally. Obsessive compulsive. Wants to be everybody's buddy. Mysterious. You know, always talking about their conquests. You know, like we already use that language to describe each other to ourselves. Maybe we should use that language as improvisers to find interesting people to play. Mm hmm. So Genevieve, in your in your improvisatory experience, I mean, did you just sort of jump into it or did you take classes? Like did you, oh, we just butt in, before before you answer that question, we just butt in before you answer that question. Y'all be looking for behaviors to play okay. for the rest of this conversation. Yeah, actually, what nervousness did you catch uh, from? Uh, uh, Genevieve mentioned her folks being academics and what's the word? Biblical, not biblical, you know, uh, theologically academic. Yes. Yes. And that got me like, boom, detached. Especially from human things. Now, I'm not saying they are. They're probably lovely. But you mentioned that, and that immediately was like, oh, I've known some academics who can be very detached. I wouldn't even call them academics, but they're both, you know. That's what struck me. That's fine. That's what struck me. That's that's what I grabbed. That's good. Because anything can be an inspiration. Yeah. Bingo. So as as we're talking about this, Genevieve. We're looking for inspiration. We're looking looking for behaviors that we can grab out of these things. All right. Awesome. So, Genevieve, how did you get involved with improv? <laughs> with improv. I'm an actress by trade and training, all of that. So, in acting school and conservatory, they sort of improv as part of it. They always kind of make you do some improv. I never particularly liked it <laughs> because I am more of a kind of control person. Sure. So, like, first of all, one, I don't like anything to do with teams. I don't like anything where... I'm relying on somebody else or anybody's relying on me. I hated sports as a kid. The only ones I like are the ones you do on your own. So I like stand-up. I don't love improv. But I somehow fell into, when I was in New York, I took an improv class, which turned into an improv troupe 
and we would do shows and competitions and, and things like that. Which <laughs> sure, I, how I and I, I don't even like it. But I think it's fun to do. I don't really like it as an art form unless it's really good. It's gotcha. one of those things. You know what I mean? It's like you go see an improv show. Unless these guys really know what they're doing, it's going to be awful. I'm not going to push back. <laughs> I'm not going to push back. I may have some qualifiers around that, but I'm not going to push back. I mean, I think that most people kind of know that. The well, question is that people think they're better at it than they are. Well, it's the same thing is true with movies. We, we complain about how terrible movies are. Yeah, but a bad movie is not as bad as bad improv. <laughs> I would say the same thing can be said of philosophy is that, uh, you know, unless it is done really well, it can be. But like improv, even the most meandering, clueless, confused philosophical conversation can be very beneficial for those involved. It's just a matter of then. Correct. But usually you're not asking people to sit there and watch. You mentally masturbate for, you know, for. (laughs) Yes, there's a lot going on. I think improv's proximity to entertainment industry makes it weird and strange and different. As opposed to no one is like signing up to do a sculpture class thinking they're going to be Rodan or that's the only sculptor I can think of off the top of my head. But many people step into improv considering it as to be, and for many it is, and we can't deny that it is, a step in a possible career in the greater world of entertainment in all it's possible. That doesn't even bother me. If people are taking improv because they want to get practiced in, they want they want to sharpen their thinking on the spot skills and how to create a character really fast and how to make a make a choice really fast and all of that, all of that's awesome. But I kind of think ninety nine percent of improv belongs in a rehearsal room, not on a stage, right? For people to watch you rehearse and practice and play around. Now there are exceptions. I mean, I've seen some phenomenal improv, but I've I've seen. Not a lot of phenomenal improv. But because then it's not real. If it's on a rehearsal stage, it's not real. I'm not saying this is what I believe. I'm saying this is what many people involved talk about. Talk about the idea of improv and the gee whiz chairs. Oh, you mean if you're just doing it for fun, then it's not real? Like it has to be a performance thing? Yes. There's a lot going on and it's a very complicated world only made even more complicated. The internal politics and internal thoughts and feelings only made more difficult by its proximity to the entertainment industry. It's a shame, but yeah, most improv is not anything I would watch for entertainment purposes, (laughs) Uh, but that's fine. There's lots of things I don't do for entertainment, but it's a big complicated mess. This is actually bringing me back to the sort of connections between people, oneness between people is different levels of mimesis in different art forms, right? Imitation, how much do you actually participate? Music is so affecting, at least some kinds of music, because it sort of invites you to vicariously to move your ass along with it, right? To participate in it. And likewise, when you're listening to a conversation, if you're really engaged in it, if it's in your head, it's in a podcast, you know, people have told me about my philosophy podcast, like, you know, I find myself wanting to interject. Even though you're a spectator, you're in it. You don't probably feel that way when you're watching a play, hopefully, because then you want to jump up and talk from your seat. (laughs) You know, I had a moment. Did you see the movie The Whale? I haven't yet, but I know I've heard enough about it. So there is one, and I don't usually have that impulse, you're right, to join in on a movie. But I was sitting with a friend of mine, and there's a line in the movie. The movie is not a funny movie at all. And this was not supposed to be funny. There's one moment where Brendan Fraser and all his disgustingness, you know, like, right? He's screaming at this one, and he goes, 
I wasn't always like this. Sure. I was never the best looking guy in the room. And both of us out at the same time. You were. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, the mummy, the mummy franchise. I mean, it was just such, it was like just you such kissed a Catherine Zeta Jones. Come on. <laughs> particular actor who was the sure. best looking guy, not even in the room, like one of the best looking guys in the world for like a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I did yeah. have that. I, I did, and people we were like, "Yeah, like the theater was like, the fuck is wrong with you guys?" We're like, sorry, sorry. <laughs> well, so just to take this sort of step by step, do you feel like in stand up comedy, you obviously want people to participate, you want them to laugh, you don't want them to answer and heckle necessarily, but is that mimesis in the same way as when you're grooving to music or even when you're reading something? right? Half the work is by the reader, right? There's just dead words on a page. The reader has to reconstruct, has to understand the sentences, maybe set up the scene if you're reading fiction. So there's always a lot of audience contribution. Yeah. I think everything is a two-way thing, right? Because there's the putting out of it and then there's the receiving of it. It's just a question of what level of receiving and, and what level, I mean, you know, like a conversation is back and forth. A friend of mine who's very annoying to talk to, of course, because you'll be like, so I was out and I'm you're trying to tell her a story of something that happened. And you're like, and I saw this dog. Oh, I love dogs. What kind of dog was it? I don't know, a bulldog. Oh, did it have the, the, the short ears or did it have the long ears? Like, this is not relevant. Just let me get my fucking story out. You know are, you, are you describing a behavior? <laughs> yes, I am. I am. And this person sends me this clip. It was a video of, I think it was Jimmy Fallon and it was Will Ferrell where he's singing and he's going just a small town girl. He goes, what, what was the town? What, what living in a lonely world. Oh, so she didn't have a lot of friends then. Oh, that's too bad. I didn't have a lot of friends. And then he keeps trying to sing. Where, where what, what was the city? Oh, Detroit. I was thinking it was going to be New York. And like, he keeps doing it. And I was like, and she's like, isn't this funny? And I'm like, I think it's funny that you're sending this to me since this is you. This is what you do when someone tries to tell you something. And she's like, ah, I think I'm better at it. <laughs> that was the response. But I think that it's just about knowing what you're there for, right? Like they'll say in a comedy show, this may feel like it's two way, but it's it's not a conversation, right? So then to make one more step to improv, the degree to which I like, because I share this, like I haven't seen that much live improv. When I have, it's been sort of these comedy sports, these games, these whose lines it anyway. And it seems like kind of gimmicky. I feel the same way about musical improv as, as a musician, when I was younger, let's just get together and jam. And I felt like, wait, that's only half of the creative process. Putting out ideas, that's what improvising is, is putting out ideas. But the second half is choosing the good ones and then ordering them in some logical way. So you've not actually done anything other than generate some raw material when you jam. But when I ran into this improv podcast that Bill was on and it sort of made me feel like it made me want to do it. It made me feel like I'm not just witnessing this sort of sports event or whatever. I'm like participating in the conversation, even though I'm obviously just listening. So there was a different level of mimesis. And the way Bill has explained this somehow is like Bob Odenkirk and David Cross, you know, they do some sort of sketch stuff. And, and at one point it was advised to them that just go out and introduce yourself as yourself. So then when people are experiencing it, they're not experiencing, here is a show for you. They're experiencing, here are these people that I know that are doing a thing. And having that personal connection with them makes you feel like you're sort of 
on their team. You're doing the thing too. Maybe not, you know, getting up from your chair, but there's more mimesis. Whereas if you're just bored or unentertained watching a show, that seems like you're not on their team. You're not participating. Maybe they've made it impossible because they're just too fucking boring of people. And even if it was your best friends and you're going to see them at their show, you're still not vicariate. You're still only tolerating them. Yeah. I mean, Hollywood, they'll put big name actors in boring movies, quote unquote, boring movies, because they know people want it. They want to see their friends. I want to go see Captain Zeta Jones and, <laughs> and Brendan Fraser, you know, and even if the script is like, am I, do I want to go see them because they're such masters of the art and they just put on these characters like, you know, it's like, no, they're my friends. They're hot. They're cool. They're fun. They're, they're, they're all these other reasons that have nothing to do. What's the movie about? Don't know. Don't care. People will be like, I'm going to, whatever Tom Cruise is doing, I'm going to go. I'm going to go see. I'm going to go see. Until yeah. you find out that he's a sexual predator or whatever. Well, and then, hold and then on. then you're, they're not your friend used. anymore. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Tom Cruise, for all his insanity, he can still open a movie. I was as not crazy trying to been, say anything specifically about Tom Cruise. The world has not turned on him. <laughs> they haven't realized how short he is. That, that, once they do. <laughs> um, all right, everybody. I have written down several behaviors. Do we want to get another one of these things in? Oh, let's do it. Or maybe three quick scenes with each of us starting a scene with our behavior and then we can talk about how we how we defined it. You look nervous, Mark. Did you not get one? <laughs> I I'll go second. <laughs> I don't want to go first. <laughs> I can go first again. Well that doesn't seem fair. All right. I guess as the resident co-host, I need to be, <laughs> I will start it. This is the Grand Canyon. Take a look. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, wow. people say it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I've seen post pictures of it to be here. It's pretty do, cool. do you guys, do you have any questions? I mean, I've done so goddamn many of these tours. I, <laughs> what, what, yeah, what do you want to know? I mean, it's, it's deep. There's like, don't, don't fall in it. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, this must be amazing. You get to work. This is, this is your, this is your office for you every day, man. This is what you see at the work every day. This is amazing. Okay, beautiful. so if I dropped a penny off the top of the Grand Canyon and it landed on somebody, would they? Yeah, they'd be dead. They'd definitely be dead. In earlier days, we would try stuff like that. Now it's just so much carnage. And, you know, it's just it gets boring after a while. Don't don't even bother. Okay, I mean this this is a cool. I mean, you like this? I mean, I understand. Maybe I don't know. I think it's a cool job to have, man. I think it's a cool job to have for this to be what you see every day. That's pretty cool. I mean, the you guys, yeah, I'm getting some excited vibes from you. This, I guess, is I guess is making me uh, see through your eyes. And uh, no, no, it doesn't really work. Yeah, yeah. You want to see the next thing? There's some cacti. Where we are now, you know, what, what, how deep is it right here where we are? Right you know, right this is actually 1.235 miles straight down. Wow. And uh, yeah. Is that all? I thought it would be more than that. No, no. I mean, it's longer than that if you do the, if you do the tour because you're kind of twisting this way and that it's like a it's like a seven mile tour to get to the bottom and you, you've been to the um, bottom but you could take the quick way oh yeah god damn we've been to the bottom a lot yeah do you like your job dude do you like your job i, I mean it's a thing that one does to and it puts the roof over the head so to speak people come from all over the world to experience the, the natural wonders of the planet hey, and it's like, you seem kind of sick of it i mean like you don't even care you know what would be nice is if the people that came from all over, maybe they could do it for a day and then they'd be very excited about it. I was very excited when I started this job. But, you know, you've seen one deep pit and one broken ankle and one, you know, you just, you see, you've seen them all. Well, why don't you just stand over there and be quiet and just let us take our pictures and soak it in. Okay. You don't have to lay your misery on us. All right. 
All right, man. Go, go, go for it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Don't, I know you want to do the selfies. Can I just take the picture of you? Because if you do the selfie, you're going to freaking lean over and another one, another goddamn one of those. Well, then maybe it'll be a more interesting day for you. <laughs> another ambulance, another helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll stop right there. Just we'll stop right there. Just because we have some more to do. But we can All go right. longer there. That was great, Mark. What was your behavior? And sometimes there's some wiggle. Sometimes when it starts and what we all agree it to, to it to be, can, there can be some, some wiggle in there for sure. You know, I don't remember where in the conversation I got the idea of, uh, yeah, just being bored at somebody's... Over it. Yeah. Uh, over yes, it. At, at somebody's improv show or whatever. Like, I was... Totally. And I've met that person, kind of cynical, who's just kind of over it, whatever it is. Yeah. That's definitely a fun person to play. And putting him at the Grand Canyon, good contrast. Well done, Mark. Thus, my background, <laughs> my Zoom background contributes something to this damn. Yeah. <laughs> Genevieve, do you have a thing you want to start us on? Hmm. Guys, I literally, I am holding up a pen and paper. I was writing things. <laughs> I know. But your brain is like, your mind is like totally ready for this. Just because I'm at a desk doesn't mean I have a pen or paper to hand. <laughs> I actually have both. <laughs> okay. But, uh, yeah. No, I mean, all right, all right. So, um, okay. <sighs> all right, guys. We have a really important show coming up, and I need everybody to give it their best. Okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really yeah. important because last time the critics came and they said that you were way too stiff, and they said that you were way too boring, and we can't have this happen again. I mean, we just we just can't have this happen again because deep breath, like, deep breath, deep breath. Yeah, but like the times are gonna be there. And like, like all these like papers are going to be there and like, maybe my parents will come. I mean, like they never have before, but like, this might be the night, you know, like this might be the night that they show up and then they're like, what are you even doing with your life? And like, why are you trying to pursue this? Like, uh time out. We did a pickup rehearsal. We did two pickup rehearsals. Mark and I worked on our stiffness and, uh, and everything. I just don't understand why a critic would pick on someone particularly being boring like, just ignore them if they're boring, right? Focus on no, no, whoever's... No, because they're watching the show. If you're not engaging them, there, there are no stars. There's no small parts. There's only small actors. Haven't you ever heard this before? All right, Genevieve, you're really keyed up. You're super keyed up. And I don't think you're going to be at your best, okay? Okay, well, that's really not the kind of positive talk that I need to hear right now. I need to be brought up. I need to be, you know... There's no higher to go. <laughs> we can get you any higher. It's just that I can't have people falling asleep. I just can't have it. Maybe, maybe you know what it is? Air. Maybe the theater's too hot. Maybe we need to pump air. Maybe we need down. to get one of those calm oxygen down. machines like they have when they grow marijuana, you know, and they pump it right into the room to make the plants grow. We, we, we don't own the venue, okay? You've made it quite far, all right? This is off-Broadway. This is nothing to sneeze at, all right? We're Correct. all thankful to be here and hoping we can continue to work, all right? Let's just... But I'm not interested in going back to regional theater. Where they don't have any, you know, they don't even bring you snacks there. All right. Okay. Can you give Mark and I three supportive comments that are not coded in hysteria? Okay. Um, I don't think that I'm hysterical. I think I'm just very passionate. And I think that some people are not. Okay. We did it. We did it. Awesome. We'll see. See. see, see. <laughs> that was great. Jake. That's perfect. I've met that person. I want to strangle that person. <laughs> <laughs> but something that's interesting to kind of point out, if anyone is playing the home game, is that how can we make Mark's behavior and Genevieve's behavior and my behaviors, how can we make those front and center? How can we make them pop? 
and really stand out. And it's like, well, we have to pl- we have to be affected by those behaviors, and we can't just push our own. Well, I have my behaviors. I'm just going to jam it in. It's like if we are affected by your stress, Genevieve. Well, then it shows that your stress is it validates your stress. We yes and if you want to use that context, your stress by being whoa, hey, let's take a chill pill here. We're we're good. We're okay. And it makes your stress even more out of place. So for anyone playing the home game, how we play opposite someone with a big character choice. Typically, you're never incorrect playing reasonable, being a reasonable person. But reasonable people do have dignity. They do have pride. They do have those things. That makes sense, right, Mark? It is. And I was about to do it wrong because I was so (laughs) stuck on the idea of a critic calling my character boring and maybe even boring looking. What does that mean? That, you know, I was not going to be reacting to her. I was going to be in my own little ball. Every of- martini has, can have an olive. And that would only frustrate me more that you're on, on your own little cloud. Dude, can we chill on that? It's been 10 days since that review came out. Can we just let it, you know, let it go? Uh, that's a whole other fun scene. All right. We'll finish this up here. You wanted a, a trifecta here. To okay. We'll do a trifecta real fast. The okay. end of the hour. Hey, everybody. Um, I know we've got the big business cover dish coming up and we're not going to ask anybody about dietary restrictions okay i would just invite you all to be mindful okay i I shouldn't have to say anything else i think you do have to say something else because it was being i mean either people are gonna die from things that they're allergic to being served to them or they're not i just was being mindful mark i would invite you to consider other people when making your decisions about what to bring on our optional company-wide cover dish dinner. Okay. Now, well, consider other people, well, consider other people's shellfish allergies, consider other people. Well, again, Genevieve, Genevieve, I would invite you to not thin slice everything potentially as a way of circumventing the instructions by finding fault in the instructions. Okay. I would, inv- I would invite you to do that. Okay. <laughs> would you, would you invite us to do that? That's uh, I have, I have, I, have, I, I think it, if we're bringing a potluck, of course I'm thinking of other people. There are some idiosyncratic foods that I kind of like marshmallow peeps. I realize most people think they're disgusting. I'm not going to bring them to the potluck. I'm okay with marshmallow peeps. Okay, maybe I'll bring some to the potluck, but mostly... Okay, I would invite both of you not to bring anything gross. Just don't bring anything gross. I, that's, that's my invitation Okay, to but you. so here's the thing, though. But, but by gross, I, I think that pickles are gross. Does that qualify as gross? Well, I, I would invite you to consider the whole range of pickles. Uh, there's uh, Rather than just cucumbers, there's other things can be Cucumbers pickled. are fine, but, but once they're in a jar with, with, with liquid and, and they yeah, smell weird... I find them gross. So can we put so can we put a request for no pickles company wide? Well, I would again invite you to consider that there are other power. I don't know why we're spending so much time on this, really. I, I think deceptive, we're spending a lot of time. De- deceptive foods. You know, you, you ever seen those like those like they're chips and you think you're about to get a tortilla chip, but it's like lime? And like you weren't expecting lime. That's just inconsiderate. Do not bring lime chips. To something. I think, well, I think that's a very, I think it's a wonderful, now, now Mark, you are accepting. Yeah, or like brownies that actually taste like coffee. Oh, yes. I mean, ch- chocolate 
that you or things you think are chocolate chips, but they're really berries or something. Like, no, make oh, it really clear. Well, you guys have validated me quite a bit. I feel great. I feel great. This is when HR generalists get to sleep at night with conversations like this. I've done my work here. Uh, I will bid you adieu. Wow. I think it's going to be a really good dinner. <laughs> yeah. Very done. Awesome. Who was that person? Was that behavior? We hate them, I hope. Oh, I know those people. <laughs> I would describe that person as has an agenda, yet couches their agenda in. It's when you say something like, um, you know, uh, well, that car over there is red. Well, that's your opinion. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's your opinion, people? Well, yes. No. If I said that car is pretty, you could say that's my opinion. Yeah. But if I say the car is red, the car is fucking red. Like that's not a matter of opinion. Mark, that is the the universalist, you know, insofar <laughs> as we are partaking of publicly available knowledge and the faculty of reason, we are we are all one. <laughs> that's Spinoza. Wow, I could not have made that connection, Mark. That was that was outstanding. That was good. I like it. All right, well, let's close it down with all those every thread wrapped up. But before we leave. You have a, a grave duty that we didn't advise you about at the beginning, Genevieve. You have to decide, based on this conversation, philosophy or improv, which one was the winner today? Which lesson, which discussion is going to have the more powerful effect on your life in the universe? On mine? I'm going to say, I'm going to say improv. You know why? Because I spend more time talking about philosophy. I don't get to have conversations about improv a lot. So yeah, that was refreshing. And uh, different, and uh, and I feel like I kind of dominated the philosophy conversation. So there's also <laughs> much for me to learn there. Wow, uh, dominated in terms of the power you showed and c- cowed us. No, I, just- I don't even. I don't even mean that. I mean, I I think I was talking through most of it. Yeah, it's sort of like you know when Trump lies so often, you can't correct every little thing. You were dropping so many things out there. That if we were going to have a discussion about each of them individually, we'd have to have a whole series of them. So, so I just let most of them go. But those little, those little improv gems. It's like, all right, I could take that and go do something with it. There we go. You don't have to reread the Oversoul in order to like. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the W. That's fine. <laughs> well, thank you, Genevieve. You seem like the perfect guest for this. We'll have to hit you up for for other similarly perfect people going forward, but. Thank you to the listeners and thank you both. Indeed. Thank you, everybody. And scene. Hope you enjoyed the show. Get more at philosophyimprov.com. If you want to support the show and not have to hear any more commercials and get our post-game segments where Bill and I and sometimes guests will elaborate on some things that came up in the episode, reflect on the future, and share our recommendations in the philosophy and comedy worlds, you can see options to do that at philosophyimprov.com slash support. Thanks. Bankrupt. 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 Bankrupt.